Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and you are listening to the sixth section and final section of Parashat Bimidbar. This section we will learn slightly differently than the previous sections. In the previous sections, we will we read large chunks of the Torah portion and translated, and then we went into the explanations. Here, the details of the section demand that we read small portions at a time and explain and note the differences. So we'll begin today at uh, at the beginning of Perak Dalad, this, the fourth chapter of Sefer Bemidbar, and we will continue till the end of the parasha in Pasuk Kaf. This is a section that I think at first glance seems to be very detailed, very tedious, even perhaps monotonous, but a closer look at this section will actually lead us to some very interesting insights. And Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the descendants of Kehat from among the sons of Levi, by their families, by their father's households. Note that we've come across different words for the commandment to take a census. We've seen Pekod, we've seen Seu, and now we are seeing Naso. Miben shloshim shana v'ma'ala ve'ad ben hamishim shana kobala tzava l'asot melacha be'ohel mo'ed. From 30 years and upward, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do work in the, in, in the tent of meeting. So now we've had a census from 20 years and older. We have had a census of a month and older. And now we have a census from 30 years and up to 50 years. This is also the first time that we have an upper limit of the census. And this means that the job is not only specific to a minimum age, it's also specific to an older age as well. It's interesting to note in the Hebrew, literally to the army. But we know that the Levim are not serving in the military army, but yet the Torah uses the same word to describe the work of the Levim by using the term tzava, army. Additionally, while the service in the military army can be done from 20 years and older, the service in the Mishkan can only be done from 30 years and older. Later on in Sefer Bamidbar, we're going to see a different number than 30. We'll discuss this when we get there. Zot avodat b'nei kehat be'ohel mo'ed, kodesh ha'kodashim. This is the work of the descendants of kehat in the tent of meeting concerning the most holy things. The term kodesh ha'kodashim can refer to the section of the mishkan in which the Aaron sits. And then it only refers to the Aaron. But when we read the, the continuation of the chapter we will see that it does not only refer to the Aaron, but it refers to all the Kelim, all the vessels of the Mishkan, in which case the translation of Kodesh HaKodeshim is not actually the physical place Kodesh HaKodeshim, but concerning the most holy things. Now the beginning of the next Pasuk is slightly surprising because we're referring to B'nai Kehat, the Leviim, the sons of Kehat, and let's read the next Pasuk, Pasuk Hei. Uva Aharon Uvanav, bin Soar HaMachane, vehoridu eit parochet hamasach, vechisuva eit Aaron ha'idu. When the camp set out, Aharon and his sons shall go in, and they shall take down the veil of the screen, and cover the Ark of the Testimony with it. The first people to do something within 
B'nai Kehat, the sons of Kehat, are Aharon Uvanav. This is something that we have to note. Aharon and, their son, and his sons are actually descendants of Kehat. However, they are not actually Leviim, the sons of Kehat, because we give them a special category of Kohanim. So the question is, are Aharon and Banav, Aharon and his sons, part of B'nai Kehat, or are they doing something separate from them? In any case, what we read is the first action of Aaron and his sons is to take down the Parochat HaMasach, which is the veil which separates the main part of the Mishkan that contains the Shulchan, the Menorah, and the Mizbach HaZahav from the smaller section of the Mishkan, the Kodesh HaKodeshim, which contains the Aaron Habrit, the Ark of the Testimony. They take down this veil, this Parochat HaMasach, and they cover the Ark with the Parochet HaMasach. And this whole section is about how we cover the vessels of the Mishkan. And this is the most unique covering of the, any vessel. Because every other vessel has a special garment or cover that covers each vessel. The uniqueness of the Aron, of the Ark, is that the veil, which has a different function throughout the standing of the Mishkan, is used to actually cover the Ark. But this is not the final cover of the Ark as we are to see. V'natanu alav kisui or tachash u'farsu veged klil techelet milamala v'samu badav. And they shall lay a covering of porpoise skin on it and shall spread over it a cloth of pure blue, techelet, and shall insert its poles. So after the Aron is covered by the veil, the parochet hamasach, it is then covered by something called kisui or tachash, and then it's covered by a garment of tchelet, which we translated in English to blue, but we're going to have to discuss that as well. What is this kisui or tachash? Rashi explains in Sefer Shmot that tachash is a unique, uncommon animal. We saw in the English translation they, they refer to a porpoise skin. Rav Sadia Gaon explains that actually it's the same skin of the rams that is mentioned in Sefer Shmot, Orot Elim Meodamim, red skins of the ram. However, they are processed differently, so it's colored black. So in order to avoid having to translate it every time, we're going to refer to it as the Tachash cover. If we then review how the Aron is covered, it is covered threefold. First, it is covered by the Parochet HaMasach. Then it is covered by the Tachash cover. And then it is covered by a garment of Tchelet. The Ramban explains that the, the Parochet HaMasach is used so that the Or Tachash, the animal garment, the animal cover, is not directly touching the Aron. So then it is first covered by the parochet, hamasach, then it is covered by the cover of the tachash, which the cover of the tachash, while it's not as respectable, it does protect the aron and the veil from the rain during travel. So, the, so says the Ramban. And finally, the aron is covered by a garment of tchelet, that is a more respectable cover for an external cover for the aron. The Ramban points out that in, according to the simple reading of the Psukim, the Aron is thus different than the other 
kalim, the other vessels, because the other kalim have an internal cover, which is a special, respectable cover, but the external cover was a tachash cover. The aron is actually internally covered by the tachash cover after the parochat hamasach, and only afterwards externally covered by a beged chelet. In other words, the aron was distinguishable when it was carried. It was the only vessel that was covered with a beautiful chelet cover. All the other ones were covered by the skin of the tachash. Afterwards, the Ramban makes a small comment where he entertains the possibility that perhaps the aron was covered in the same order as the others, and the tachash cover was the most external cover, but as I said, that's not the simple reading of the psuki. We've almost completed this verse, but we must stop to take note of two words at the end of the verse that took the uh, commentaries a lot of difficulty to understand. The last two words are v'samu badav, as we translate it into English, and shall insert its poles. We all know that the majority of the vessels were built with rings and poles to allow the Levim to carry the vessels. So it's logical for us to insert the poles when we need to travel. However, with regard to the Aron, to the Ark specifically, the Pasuk in Shmot, in the, regarding the building of the Aron, states explicitly, The poles of the Aron were fixed into the rings. They were not taken out. This then begs the question, if the poles are permanently in the rings of the Ark, why does our verse in Parshat Bamidbar need to tell us that the poles were placed in position for travel? Additionally, Chazal understand Lo Yasuru Mimena is not only a description that they are not taken out, but a prohibition for them to be taken out. Why does the Torah have to tell us to put the poles in if there's a prohibition to take them out? One possible explanation is that the poles were placed in for the first time, and then from that point on they were never taken out. I did not see this position mentioned by any of the commentaries, but it's a possible explanation. The Ibn Ezra is of the opinion that our Pasuk in Parshat Bemidbar proves that the poles were removed, perhaps in order to cover the Aron properly for traveling, because maybe they got in the way when they were being covered by their three covers, or perhaps until they traveled, and from the point that and from that point on they were not removed. In any case, according to the Ibn Ezra, the prohibition of removing the poles was not an absolute prohibition. When functionally it was necessary to remove the poles, the poles were removed and then they were placed back in. However, other commentaries reject the Ibn Ezra's approach because it seems to limit and undermine the significance of the Pasuk in Shmot. The Pasuk in Shmot seems to state that the poles were not to be removed ever from the Aron. The Chizkuni brings three alternative explanations to our Pasuk in order to maintain the simple understanding of the Pasuk in Shmot. Number one, two permanent poles existed and two additional poles were placed in position when traveling. Two poles when stationary, four poles when traveling, and when the Torah states here that the poles should be inserted, it's referring to the two additional poles that were used for traveling. The second explanation, the poles were permanent, 
but they were specifically positioned and aligned for traveling. Vesamu badav means not that the, the poles were placed in the rings, but they were adjusted in the rings for traveling. Number three, Vesamu badav means that the poles were placed on the shoulders of those who carried the Aron, as opposed to placing the rings, the, the poles into the rings of the Aron, placing the Badim means placing them on the shoulders. From here we move on to the description of moving the shulchan, the table. The al shulchan hapanim yifrusu beged techelet, v'natenu alav et hakearot, v'et hakapot, v'et hamenakiot, v'et kesot hanasech, v'lechem hatamid alav yihyeh. U'farsu alehem beged tola'at shani, v'chisu oto b'michseh or tachash, v'samu et badav. Over the table of the showbread, they shall also spread a cloth of blue, tchelet, and put on it the dishes, and the pans, and the sacrificial bowls, and the jars for the drink offering, and the continual bread, the lechem apanim, shall be on it. They shall spread over them a cloth of scarlet material, and, a, and cover the same with a covering of tachash, and they shall insert its poles. Some of the commentators point out that in Shmot, the Shulchan is just called the Shulchan. And here, the additional word Shulchan Hapanim, referring to the Lechem Hapanim, the showbread that it placed, is placed on the Shulchan, this implies that there were other tables in the Mishkan. They did not have a formal role as a vessel in the Mishkan, and therefore they're not mentioned ever, but they had a functional role for cutting up the meat. And therefore the Torah has to say the Shulchan Hapanim to not confuse it with the other tables. Another interesting note is that in Shmot, the showbread is called Lechem Panim or Lechem Hapanim. Here, the Shulchan, which was just called the Shulchan, became Shulchan Hapanim, and the bread is called Lechem Hatamid, the permanent bread. The first cover is a Beged of Tchelet, as opposed to the Aron. Next is a Beged of Tola Chani, Scarlet. And then a cover of tachash, of the skin of the tachash. However, the Ramban claims that the beged tchelet, the tchelet garment, covered the shulchan with the lechem hapanim. The vessels of the table were placed on the beged tchelet, and then they were all covered with the beged tolat shani. And then all of them together were covered by the tachash cover. This brings us to a subtle but complex grammatical point in the verses. On the shulchan, on the table, they'll place a garment of tchelet. And they shall place on it, singular, all the different vessels. When it says they shall place on it, on what are they placing? on the shulchan, on the table, or on the garment of blue, of the garment of tchelet. According to the Ramban, we're referring to the garment of tchelet. The, the shulchan was covered with the garment of tchelet, and then the minor vessels of the shulchan were placed on the garment. But then the pasuk continues, Velechem hatamid alav yihyeh. Upon what? Again, is it on the garment of tchelet, or is it on the, the, the table itself? This time the Ramban says that it's the 
that the lechem, the bread, was placed on the table itself. This seems random. Why one time does the Ramban decide that the vessels are placed on the garment of Tchelet, and one time when referring to the lechem hatamid, the bread, it's placed on the table itself? All the more so when we note that the bread is mentioned at the end of the list of vessels that are not placed directly on the, on the table, but on the garment of Tchelet. If the bread was meant to be placed with the vessels on the garment, the verse should read like this. As a continuation of the other items in the list. However, there are two things that break the continuity. First is the etnachta, the pause note on the word which separates the vessels from the bread. And number two is the reiteration of the words alav yihyeh, implying a break from the previous list. Additionally, the fact that the bread must be on the table tamid, permanently, as it is called here, lechem ha-tamid, implies then that the bread remains directly on the table always. We now return to the verses in question. Now the Torah states, "Ufarsu alehem shani." You shall place on them in plural. What is this referring to? The plural is this on all of the vessels, or on the table, the bread, and the vessels? And finally, "Vichisu oto or tachash," and cover it singular with a tachash cover. What has happened here? The Tachash covers all of the items, so why in singular? Ultimately, all of the items are part of a unit, the Shulchan, and therefore in singular. singular. But as we are going through the process, we see the many different aspects, and it's mentioned in plural. The final uh, cover, the Tachash cover, co- covers the entire unit as one. The final, the end of the Pasuk, says the familiar words, Vesamu et badav. Here, Referring to the poles, we have no qualms to say to actually put the poles in place in their rings because there is no prohibition of taking the poles out of the rings of the shulchan, of the table. None of the classic commentators comment on this verse, but perhaps these words give some support to the Ibn Ezra's position regarding Vesamu Badav with regard to the Aron, to the Ark. Since here it is safe to assume that it actually means that the poles were put into their rings, and it is said with the same words as was said regarding the Aron, we can assume that in both places the poles were put into place, like the Ibn Ezra posited that the poles were actually out and put into place even with regard to the Aron. However, a closer read will reveal that with regard to the Aron it says Visamu Badav, and with regard to the Shulchan and the Mizbeach HaZahav, which we have not read yet, it says Vesamu et Badav, implying a difference between the Aron and the other Kelim, in, as opposed to the Ibn Ezra. One last caveat on this point, this theory hits a difficulty when, with regarding to the final Mizbeach, the external Mizbeach, it only says Vesamu Badav without the word et. Unless we assume that the poles with regard to the Mizbeach, the external Mizbeach, also had a unique status. We now move on to the Menorah. 
ולקחו בגד תכלת, וכיסו את מנורת המאור, ואת נרותיה, ואת מלכחיה, ואת מחדותיה, ואת כל כלי שמנה אשר ישרתו לה בהם, ונתנו אותה, ואת כל כלה אל מכסה אור תחש, ונתנו על המות. Then they shall take a blue tchelet cloth and cover the menorah for the light, along with its lamps and its snuffers and its trays and all of its oil vessels by which they serve, and they shall put it and all its utensils in a covering of tachash, skin, and shall put it on the carrying bars. The beget tchelet is the first cover, but as opposed to the other kelim, the beget tchelet is mentioned in the pasuk before the menorah. Not that the menorah is covered by a garment of tchelet, but a beged tchelet is taken to cover the menorah. Additional, an additional difference, the word yifrisu is used, pardon me, the word vechisu is used to cover the, the, the tchelet garment with the menorah as opposed to yifrisu used in the other vessels. Subsequently, there's a michse or tachash, again a tachash skin, And finally, the first time we're coming across these words, v'natenu al hamot. The menorah, as opposed to the other kelim, does not have rings and poles. It is carried with a mot, another type of pole used for carrying, as it says by the grapes that the spies brought from Eretz Yisrael, v'yisau b'amot b'shnaim. They carried these grapes, which were apparently enormous, with some sort of pole, two people carrying it. So in, in three regards, we saw the uniqueness of the menorah, the mot, the order of the, the garment of tchelet before the menorah, and also the verb used to describe the covering of the garment of tchelet was v'chisu as opposed to yifrsu. And now we move to the mizbach hazahav, the golden altar. Ve'al mizbach hazahav yifrsu beget tchelet, v'chisu oto b'michse or tachash v'samu et badav. Over the golden altar, they shall spread a blue tchelet cloth and cover it with a covering of tachash skin and shall insert its poles. Nothing special to add here about the Mizbach HaZahav, a tchelet cover and then a tachash cover. However, verse 12, the following pasuk, gives us a little bit of difficulty. And they shall take all the utensils of service with which they serve in the sanctuary, and put them in a tchelet blue cloth, and cover them with a covering of tachash skin, and put them on the carrying bars. What are these vessels referred to in Pasuk 12? Rashi sees it as a continuation of the previous verse, the vessels for offering ketoret, the incense that relates to the golden altar. However, the Chizkuni comments, what are these vessels, these clay sharet, sakinim kearot vekosot, knives, and bowls and cups. Rashi seems to be preferable because it follows immediately after the golden altar. Additionally, the verse calls them clay sharet asheri shartu vam ba kodesh, inside the kodesh, as opposed to the vessels mentioned by the chizkuni, which relate to the service of the external altar outside of the mishkan. However, on the other hand, the chizkuni is preferable because the term kol clay sharet is a broad term, and the vessels mentioned by Rashi are specific to the Mizbach HaZahav. Additionally, with all the other vessels, we refer to their secondary kelim with reference to the primary vessel, and they are carried together. For example, the vessels of the Shulchan are carried with the Shulchan. The vessels of the Menorah are carried with the Menorah. 
if these indeed refer to the kalim of the golden altar, why are they not referenced to the golden altar? And why are they carried separately, not with the altar and on a mot, on a carrying bar? So that is the d disagreement between Rashi and Chizkuni. Now we move to the Mizbech, the altar, the main altar outside of the Mishkan. V'dishnu et ha-Mizbech u'farsu alav beged argaman. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. Unique is the, is the Mizbech that before even covering it, we have to talk about cleaning it. Because it is the most dirty, uh, soiled vessel in the Mishkan. And here we are introduced to yet another cloth that covers an argaman, a purple co cover. They shall also put on, on it all its utensils by which they serve in connection with it, the fire pans, the forks and shovels and the basins, all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread a cover of tachash skin over it and insert its poles. The final kli is the mizbech, the external mizbech, which was used for the sacrificial purposes of all the animals. It is covered with a argaman cover and a tachash cover. V'chila aharon uvanav lechasot et ha-kodesh, v'et kol kalei ha-kodesh, b'insoa ha-machane, v'acharechen yavou v'nekehat laset, v'lo yigeru et el ha-kodesh v'meitu, eile masa v'nekehat be'ohel mo'ed. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that the sons of Kehat shall come to carry them, so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kehat are to carry. From this verse we see that the subject of the chapter were Aaron and his sons. They were doing all the covering that we read about, not the Levi'im, the sons of Kehat. The sons of Kehat are only coming in at the very end, when everything is finished, now they can carry all these objects. But the actual covering was done by Aaron and his sons. Ufkudat Elazar ben Aaron HaKohen, Shemen HaMaor, Uktor Tasamim, Uminchat HaTamid veShemen HaMishcha, Pekudat Kol HaMishkan vechol HaShebo BeKodesh uVechilav. The responsibility of Elazar, the son of Aaron the Kohen, is the oil for the the light and the fragrant incense and the continual grain offering and the anointing oil, the responsibility of all the tabernacle, all the mishkan, and all of that is in, is in it, with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Elazar has a specific responsibility to carry these specific items, small items that he has to carry, and he also has a special responsibility of overseeing the tribe, the, the family of Kehat in their work. Now we move to the final four psukim of our parasha. Vaidaber Adonai al Moshe ve'la'aron le'mor, al tachritu et shevet mishpechot ha'kiati mitoch halviim. Hashem spoke to Moshe and to Aaron saying, do not let the tribe of the families of Kehat be, to be cut off from the Leviim. Vezot asu lahem v'chayu v'lo yamutu, begishtam et kodesh ha'kodashim, Aharon uvanav yavou v'samu otam, ish ish al avodato ve'el masao. But do this to them that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy objects. Aharon and his sons shall go in and assign each of them to his work and to his load. But they shall not go in to see the holy objects even for a moment or they will die. These verses at the end of our parasha seem redundant. We have already commanded Aharon and, their son, and his sons to cover the, these vessels before uh, the sons of Kehat take them away. What is being added here at the end of the parsha? What is this word, 
et hakodesh, kevala et hakodesh. Rashi and even Ezra similarly explain that they should not see when the vessels are being covered. Once again, if the kohanim are covering the vessels, what is being added here? The Ibn Ezra explains there is an additional prohibition. Not only are they prohibited from touching the vessels and therefore they cannot cover the vessels, they may not be present when the vessels are being covered so they, because they may not actually see the vessels. Alternatively, they may not be there for the dismantling of the parochat hamasach, the taking down the parochat hamasach, which then reveals the aron behind it. And with that, we've concluded Parshat uh, Bemidbar. And this final section, as we've seen, while seeming to have a lot of tedious detail, actually brings us to a lot of significant details. We will continue in next week's Parsha with the counting of the rest of the families of Levi'im and the uh, other and and their roles in the transferring of the Mishkan from one place to another. And with this, we conclude Parshat Bamidbar. Shabbat Shalom.